Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And this is April 1st, which means it's April Fool's, but we're going to try not to like mess with you on this show. Okay, I'm going to try. We'll see how well I do. But first up, as I always do, I want to introduce what's coming up. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's asking the question, how can you recognize a manipulator? Well, we've probably all encountered one, whether we've recognized them or not. And so one of our counselors is going to join us to give some wisdom around that. And then for our culture segment, uh, you maybe are a fan of the TV series The Chosen. If so, you want to listen to this week's conversation with creator and director Dallas Jenkins, as well as his dad, Jerry Jenkins, who is the author of the wildly popular Left Behind series and now The Chosen series uh, that we are publishing here at Focus on the Family. And so uh, this is a fun conversation. I actually got to go down to Texas on the set of The Chosen and talk to these guys. And so this is uh, part one of a conversation. You're going to want to hear it. So here we are for our roundtable. And I have got Austin, Vaughn, and Roger in the studio. Hey, y'all. Hi. Awesome to have you. Okay. um, Sometimes we just have to circle back and address this conversation um, multiple times. I mean, we've talked kind of about this before, but this is a new take on it. We're going to talk about deal breakers in dating. Uh, And so (laughs) good time uh, to kind of reopen this conversation and talk through this. Because again, I think some of us think that we're super discerning, (laughs) maybe some of us more than others. But you know, you get in a relationship, and then all of a sudden, you're like, I don't know, is that a deal breaker? Is this a red flag? What should I be thinking through? You know, everyone's imperfect. Everyone's a sinner. We have to give grace, blah, blah, blah. So it's very confusing. So I want to kind of kick off the conversation with y'all. Just basically asking you, do you consider yourself this person? Okay, and I will say, you know, Roger, you've been on the show before. You've been married how many years now? Uh, in May, it'll be 44. Okay, that is awesome. I know that you and your wife, Diane, Diane has said to us before here at Boundless that you feel like, or that she says you dated her longer than she dated you. <laughs> that is a true story. Is- <laughs> yes, I, I met her. I met her and I said, that's the girl I want to marry. But she hung me out for five years to make me prove that I was worthy, I guess. Okay, that is super weird. And I feel like there are some potential deal breakers <laughs> that could have happened in that. But somehow you soldiered through and that's good. Yep. Um, so we've got that in your story. Uh, Austin and Vaughn, you're both uh, still single as far as like relationship status, not not married and stuff. So um, and of course, I'm single. So we're going to have this conversation. Um, so I want to know, thinking about dating as you've dated in the past, if you're dating now, whatever's happened, are you more of that person who wants to put a deal breaker on everything? Like you're finding a deal breaker around every corner or do you err on the opposite end of like, eh, we'll give some extra grace here, some leeway. Maybe that's not too bad, blah, blah, blah. And then you find yourself kind of stuck in a relationship. Where do you land on that spectrum? Yeah, I think um, for me, two things really are important and a lot of other stuff I believe that you can work through in a relationship but things that matter to me are one are they a Christian I think that is like absolute essential for any person um, because that just in itself um, helps you understand uh, their worldview and their perspective and then the second thing and it kind of sounds kind of weird but are you attracted to them is it spiritually emotionally physically um, a lot of times in Christian culture, I feel like we take that for granted, but you have to like the person you marry. Mm-hmm. So I think that those things are important. So would you say when you're in a relationship, Austin, are you, do you often find those things as being deal breakers or are you kind like, are you just dating someone and you're like, nope, I'm not attracted to him. So I'm out like right away or what? <laughs> I'm trying to discern if you're deal breaker or if you're a little yeah. more on the other end. Yeah, I, I think I'm more on the other end. I think that um, a deal breaker, you know, we're never going to find the perfect church and you're never going to find the perfect person, mm-hmm. you know. And so you got to give grace to someone. But I'd say if you like them and they're a Christian, um, you know, those are the two things that, that I feel like are important. And then the rest, the rest you can work through. I mean, okay. marriages are going to be tough. Okay. Vaughn, how about you? 
Um, well, I am an anxious person to begin with, so I will find anything and everything for my boyfriend to not like me. Um, <laughs> we have been dating okay. 10 years and I still do it. Um, but it's changed over the years. At the ve- I think at the very beginning, I was more aware of what could go wrong. I think as time went on, I learned a little bit more about maybe he doesn't actually hate me. <laughs> okay. And so when tell our listeners when you started dating. So Yes, we started dating our freshman year of high school. Okay. So it's been so clearly there was a season there where you should not have been getting married. Maybe we'll have to circle back as to, you know, in a future round table as <laughs> to what's what's going on now. But okay. Yes. Roger, tell us about, about you. Well I I'm probably much like Austin. Um I think that uh, the spiritual well-being of a person uh, begins, it's the beginning point, really, of of many things that you would want to at least consider whether they're deal breakers or not. Um, f- for me to to think of dating, uh, a lot of times we approach dating just as, as friends, but if it's a dating relationship that's moving uh, deeper and going towards marriage, then you'd really want to begin to solidify some of those things that really could be deal breakers and time uh, becomes a, a huge issue in actually learning what those things are as you learn about that individual. So being unequally yoked, I mean, why would you even think of marrying somebody that you are unequally yoked to? And should that translate into why be dating somebody who, let's say, doesn't even have an interest in spiritual things or isn't willing to to talk about the Lord or, or to talk about spirituality? Uh, that might be a deal breaker, uh, but at the same time, uh, the word grace was mentioned, but grace uh, can only go so far. There still has to be boundaries set up uh, somewhere along the line to where you would then classify, yep, this is a deal breaker. It's You can't just wait forever uh, to find out if it's going to be or not. I At least I don't think. Yeah, that's good. It's interesting uh, that we're even having this conversation because this week's article, uh, the feature at Boundless, is on how the idea of cancel culture has infiltrated mm. dating. Yeah. And yeah. this, you know, it, and really two things that our author of the article set up for this was the idea that, you know, cancel culture and cancel culture and dating. Um, will kind of make you tend to think that everything is a red flag. Oh, my goodness. You know, what about this? They looked at me this weird way or they they favor this over this. Is that a red flag? And then the second thing it does is it denies the possibility of personal growth and the fact that everyone Mm -hmm. is a work in progress, especially if they're tuned in, dialed into the Holy Spirit and are teachable and humble. And I know, Roger, you and Diane do a lot of marriage counseling, premarital counseling, and that's a big thing. Is is a person humble? Are they teachable? Are they sensitive to the Spirit? Are they looking out for the other? I think we have to consider that as well. Yeah, that's exactly right, because if they're not humble, if they're not teachable, they're not Spirit-led, you don't see that in their life or evidenced in their life, then, you know, those become really the foundations to what they potentially are going to be like in the future. And the idea of the whole missionary dating thing or even mercy dating thing, there's no guarantee that you're going to change this person. You have to assume uh, that they they might change. They might come along uh, your, your, your side of the spectrum, if you will, on a spiritual level, let's say. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they might not. And you have to figure the risks that are involved if they don't. So somewhere along the line, set your boundaries to to say, these are my limits and I'm not willing to go beyond them and let the Lord take care of the rest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's that small um, number of absolute deal breakers, like the things that apply to all people or like any Christian who wants to date well, date biblically. And you guys have mentioned some of them. You have to date a fellow believer who loves Jesus, who is following hard after him. That is so important. Um, you know, there are others, that teachable spirit, uh, that person who's others centered. But then I think there are some deal breakers that maybe apply just to certain relationships or certain, like for you, it has to be a deal breaker. Let's talk through some of those. Because like, for example, here at Boundless, I'd gotten an email from a girl one time who said that she was absolutely convinced that God was calling her to Uganda as a, as a missionary. But the guy she was dating was full on, like, I'm going to start an accounting practice here in <laughs> Iowa. 
Okay, someone has to have a different... <laughs> Oops, <laughs> yep. God, either God's not calling you to be together or God's going to be changing someone's calling as far as geography and stuff like that. So I feel like that's an example of a deal breaker that's, you know, relationship specific of just like, these two people are ultimately not going to end up together if that doesn't change. What would you say, like for you personally, have been some others in that realm? Yeah. So I remember, so I've been dating my girlfriend for about a year and a half now. And at the beginning of a relationship, uh, I used to be a youth pastor and she was like, yeah, I just don't like theology. (laughs) And I was like, what do you, what do you mean you don't (laughs) like theology? Like theology is like the knowledge of God. Like, do you not like learning about God? (laughs) I was like, this could be a deal breaker for me. (laughs) Um, but I think as we, as I like, as we like, I asked questions about it and really got to know her heart by it. It's not that she didn't, you know, like the knowledge of God. It's that she didn't like getting to all of the arguments. She didn't like debating, mm-hmm. and that is a way different thing yeah. than just not liking theology. Yeah. yeah. And well, so you have to like for the missionary thing. Um, I think it's important. Like, if someone doesn't have like, uh, they're not like for the last ten years of their life been like, oh, I feel like I'm just called to be a missionary. It doesn't mean that you have to write them off right away, mm-hmm. but like ask questions, get to know them. Why are they, are they open to any mission work, short term, long term? Like, I feel like so many times, like we, we bring up the red flag and then we stick to it and we don't even ask questions into like learning more about them and their story. Yeah. Yeah. So my boyfriend is actually a professional golfer. And so he didn't go to college and he decided to pursue golf. And I know that if I was not supportive in that in any way, we probably wouldn't still be together. Um, I think that is one of his deal breakers. Um, And it wasn't really, I don't know if I really have one specific to yours, Austin. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the best example I have. Yeah, that is interesting because it's I've seen that. Okay, so basically, does he make a living golfing? Uh, almost. Okay, <laughs> okay. So that's a good. That's, that's also a, part of it. Is currently his parents are still helping him out. Okay, and so yeah. a lot of people have said, well, if he's not making money, then you can't get married, and then you shouldn't be together. But to me, that's not a deal breaker for him to pursue his dream. Yeah. Um. There, there just might be a time issue of, of him moving along in his career to where he can't support a family. God has a very different timeline for our marriage than I do, okay. and that's okay. So. <laughs> yeah, but I've heard it said, you know, and I've heard other couples talk about that kind of thing, where like one of my girlfriends was dating a guy who really wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and they ended up getting married, and she kind of, they talked this through, and he agreed to it, where he was going to have three years to make it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he had to have a plan B because it's like it's one thing to say, you give it all you got. I'm going to support us. Let's go after it for three years. Let's move to L.A. Let's do what we need to do, whatever. But it's different when you say, "Uh, yeah, go after that just indefinitely. So (laughs) for the next 30 (laughs) years, you know, because then some resentments can build up and you've got to revisit that conversation. Well, Lisa, you know, I, you know my story. I, I met Diane at a Bible study, and I went home that night and told my mom I just met the girl I'm going to marry. And I actually had a, a friend uh, in college who said to me, if she's not willing to commit in six months, that would be a deal breaker, hmm. quote unquote. And, uh, and the bottom line was, if I'd have made that a deal breaker in that sense, uh, here I am 44, almost 44 years later, I was willing to give God the time, you know, the the whole idea of be strong, be courageous, and give God time to work, and allowed me to see who she was and allowed her to see who I am, because deal breakers can go in either direction. I'll give you a good example. Um, a, a, A guy, how many times do we hear things like this? Oh, well, if you really loved me, then you would dot, dot, dot. Well, on the other side of that, somebody would say, but if you really loved me, you would just the opposite. And so those <laughs> could be deal breakers on both sides, but yet they're, they're at uh, polar opposites in terms of of the, the, the uh, situation. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on someone, like say you're in a dating relationship and your date brings up something that maybe it's a, maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe it is just something in their past. Maybe it's what, how do you have that conversation as to whether or not, you know, cause again, we don't want to sit there and be judge and jury of like, have they dealt with it quote enough? Have mm-hmm. they repented enough? Now, 
I actually feel like that's a legitimate question. I mean, you do have to know to some extent, are they owning their sin? How far along are they? You know, we've had many conversations at Boundless about, you know, a a struggle with an addiction to pornography. You, you know, I would not counsel a woman to continue dating and or get engaged and married to a guy who is just like, yeah, I'm struggling with porn. I've kind of dealt with it, but not totally. You know, again, I think there's an issue there. But how do you have that conversation? And what are some things that would be examples of where maybe a relationship has to be called off because of that? Every scenario is going to be different. And you're always going to bring in uh, your sin into a marriage and everyone and because we're all sinful, right? And so a guy's going to bring in his sin, a girl's going to bring in hers, and you part of marriage is growing to be more like Christ. And, you know, your partner has a great opportunity of presenting those things in front of you and saying, hey, these are not okay, these are sinful areas of your life, and you need to uh, be in repentance um, and in recovery through them. Um, evolving to you, like your your example, your your point, I think a lot of it's based on commitment. If the guy is not committed um, to healing um, or to getting out of that that journey or that scenario, um, then that is a deal breaker. Um, but if he is pursuing and and has accountability, um, or if the girl struggles with uh, an eating disorder or something like that, you know, uh, that can be those can be things that you, you're going to have to work through in your relationship. So. Mm-hmm. I think kind of piggybacking off of that is just being respectful and having grace for the other person. Um, If you respect them and you care about them, then they would actually like you would want to help them overcome that. As long as they have that conversation and they're truthful with you in the beginning, it's hard to help someone through something if they don't tell you. But I, yeah, I mean that commitment and just like being there with them through it, walking through it with them, not, purposely doing things that could set them off like if they struggle with alcoholism don't drink in front of them right if they Mm -hmm. have an eating disorder like watch out for certain like triggers and things like that so i think there's i think there's another side to this in that we're talking about dating and so if you know somebody like austin where you're talking about or you even um you know, Lisa, you were you mentioned, let's say, a pornography issue or something like that. Um, you you want to see the commitment. You want to see the accountability. You want to see growth in people who are going to be committed to getting healthy, getting better. And so, so it might not be a deal breaker in terms of the dating relationship, but it would certainly put certain boundaries in into oh, that yeah. dating relationship point. that has to be considered. You know, the whole. Uh, sexual side of that or the physical side or the intimacy side of a relationship, how does that get dealt with, uh, those issues get dealt with in the dating side, and then prolonging the dating, uh, or maybe I should phrase it this way, putting off a commitment to marriage would be absolutely a a thing that you would want to at least consider because once once you're married you're now dealing with that stuff whether they really are committed or they go you know they fall off the wagon if you will mm-hmm. uh, so i think again it comes down to time comes down to boundaries comes down to you've got to have communication just a- across the board and nonstop and that transparency has to be there but we got to look to see do they really have a vibrant relationship with the lord and if so then we got the holy spirit that also is at work in that person so the potential of them moving forward and getting healthy and, and being a a um a good dating partner or, or, or even a good spouse yeah. um it, it's going to take the time it's going to take a work of the holy spirit because these aren't things that we generally can do on our own mm-hmm. they take intervention from the outside so yeah, so putting yeah. a, a check in there that says put on the brakes we're not going any further <laughs> we're going to deal with this issue yeah not necessarily a deal breaker but maybe and yeah. that, that should always be an option yeah, I think that's good. And I think it, it makes me think, too, and I'd love for you guys to weigh in on this. Any other things that are maybe not sin issues, but are serious issues to discuss? And how do you broach the conversation? So, for example, another deal breaker issue that I would certainly think is one is the idea of kids or no kids. Like I have a, a friend who was dating a girl who 
basically he found out like she was not open to having children. She didn't feel called to be a mother. She didn't feel, you know, and it was just like for him, that was a deal breaker because he definitely wanted to get married and have children. And so that, you know, is kind of a case by case uh, scenario, but it could definitely cause a rift if not addressed. But again, you don't want to be on a coffee date with someone and be like, tell me your views on children right now. You know, eventually you have to, but uh, do you guys see anything else uh, in that realm uh, that would be in that category? And how would you bring it up? <laughs> well, we're kind of stumbled there because how <laughs> do you bring up the, the tough stuff? Yeah. Uh, it really comes back down to are you willing yourself to be transparent and let this other person know where your heart is, where your interests are, what your desires are. Uh, it might not be so easy for them to open up, but if you're not willing to do that, then essentially you've masked what your what your uh, intent is in the relationship and what you're really looking for in the relationship. Uh, and until they can at least respond to that, uh, you're, in a, you're in a tough place. So somewhere along the line, the, I, I always look at love as uh, an, an act of the will that meets needs. There's cost involved. You do it self-sacrificially. And then here's where the tough one, you risk rejection. And yeah. if you're not willing to risk that rejection, uh, then maybe you should put on the brakes there too. So. Well, awesome. I mean, I think this just starts the conversation and I think it gives everyone the opportunity to just pause and reflect and be like, okay, yeah, as I think about this, what does this mean for me personally? And am I putting unnecessary parameters on the relationship or on this other person? Or am I not thinking seriously enough about some things that really do need to be considered? And so again, it's a, you know, there are those hardcore deal breakers. There are the deal breakers that are unique to us. But I think, you know, again, uh, we have to prayerfully consider that and uh, and trust God, as Roger said, with the outcome, because ultimately he's got our good in mind. So thanks, you guys, for weighing in. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we are here this week and next. We're actually going to do a two-part segment here for Boundless uh, for our culture segment. And uh, I'm actually in Texas. I don't think this is Central Texas. Is this North Texas? Where are we? More North Texas. Yeah, near Dallas. And but yeah, we're on this. We're on the property. We are on the property where the chosen. Uh, is filmed. I am here sitting with Jerry Jenkins and Dallas Jenkins. They are related, uh, father and son. And uh, Dallas, as many of you know, you know, you guys, uh, we have been seeding this on social. We've been talking about this. We found out that um, half of you guys, our Boundless listeners, have seen season one of The Chosen and are excited uh, about having seen it. 50% of you no, what are you doing? I mean, for crying out loud, we've been in quarantine for a year. What have you been doing with your time? So um, we're going to have a fun conversation today with these two because Dallas, um, writer, director, creator of The Chosen series, which is the like largest crowdfunded project that's been put out there. Um, super cool. Also, I mean, uh, writer, director, you've done other projects as well. Um, and Jerry, his dad, known, um, very much known for the Left Behind series. I mean, I think we all can say that, but actually um, New York Times, uh, best-selling author, 21 times over, uh, nearly, uh, what what did we say here? Nearly 200 um, books contributed to, my goodness, um, that have sold over 72 million copies. Um, I have written one book, Jerry, um, it has not yet sold 72 million copies. I'm getting there. So just give me time. Okay. Um, but we're going to have a fun time talking today about The Chosen, the series, and now the book, a fictionalized account of what has happened. A lot of people are going to see that uh, through season one, um, those who have seen the show, and just get to know you guys a little bit as well. So welcome to The Boundless Show. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, this is fun, uh, you know, fun to have you here. So, okay. 
Um, Jerry, I just started out by saying the vast number of books um, that you have written, contributed to, uh, including over 20 biographies. And before we started taping, I talked to you that your most significant one is with Bill Gaither, which my fans know I'm a big fan. Um, I actually interviewed him for the show. Um, I was super weird in the process. He was very gracious. He didn't call security. It's all good. Um, But uh, you're most known uh, probably for your Left Behind series written with Tim LaHaye. Um, Talk to us a little bit about, because here we are, we're an audience of many young adults who are kind of trying to get their footing, figure out, you know, what they're doing with their lives and stuff like that. Talk to us about life uh, before Left Behind. I know you were a writer. I know you long, you know, had decided that you were going to be a writer, editor. Talk to us about that. And then the decision to write the Left Behind series and kind of where that took you from there. Yeah, I was uh, a full-time writer, um, full-time freelance writer since about the early 90s. And um, I had written 125 or 124 books at that time, I think it was. And uh, my agent called one day and asked me if I knew Tim LaHaye. And I had never met Tim, but of course I was aware of him. Everybody was. He was a best-selling nonfiction writer. And uh, my agent said, you know, he's a nonfiction bestseller who has a great fiction idea. And you're a novelist with no ideas. So uh-huh. we want to get you two together. Uh-huh. We, uh, we met and we really hit it off. He was the same age as my parents. And, and uh, in fact, he's passed by now. He died on Dallas's birthday about three years ago. And, um, but he, you know, he was such a, a wonderful man of God and, and uh, such a, a dramatic witness. You know, whenever we were together, he would share his faith with somebody. But I loved the idea that he had. He he said he'd been coming home from a um, prophecy conference. He taught about the rapture for decades. Uh, after he was a pastor, he spoke all over the country and wrote all these nonfiction books. And he said um, his books about the end times, he thought were good and and interesting. And of course, they espoused his his uh, unique view of it. And, which I happened to share, even though I'm not a theologian or a scholar. And uh, he said he was on an airplane, and he, and he saw a, a flight attendant flirting with the pilot. And he noticed that the pilot had a wedding ring on, and, and the flight attendant didn't. And uh, he just started thinking, you know, what, what would happen if these two have a relationship or, or are thinking about one? Um, and maybe he's got a wife at home who's a believer in Christ and who's been telling him about the rapture. And the rapture happens right then. And a third of the people on the plane disappear right out of their clothes. And uh, and then he knows when he gets home, his wife's going to be missing too. And that's what he had. That was it. That was the basic you know, germ of the idea. I love the idea. And um, so as we talked it through, I just, you know, I was assigned to write a, a first chapter and, and see how this might play out. And um, our agent shopped it to to several publishers, about half of them said, why would anybody buy a book when you know the ending? <laughs> and and the other half were, were interested, in, and a couple of them were very interested, in, and Tyndale got the, the deal. But that's how that came about. It was Dr. LaHaye's idea. And one thing that appealed to me about it was, uh, I don't think fiction can be co-written. There are people that can do it. I'm not one of them. And um, so this, this was going to be where it was his idea. He would be the theological expert keep me on track biblically, mm-hmm. but I'd get the fun part, make okay. up the story and write the thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought it was going to be one big book to tell the, the rapture, the, the seven years of tribulation, the, the glorious appearing. Um, I got about halfway through the writing of that book, and I had covered about two weeks of the seven years. <laughs> and so I said to Dr. LaHaye and to Tyndale, uh, this is going to have to be more than one book. And they said, okay, make it three. So halfway through the second book, I was I'd only been a couple months into the deal. So um, they said, all right, just keep writing it at the same pace. They liked what they were seeing, and they said, let it tell itself out. And it eventually became 16 titles in that adult series. And uh, it's hard to believe the first title in that series came out in 1995. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's still selling today. The okay. Whole thing. Yeah. Man. Okay, Dallas, tell us from your perspective, because clearly... The first book sells, subsequent books sell, becomes a bestseller, bazillion copies mm-hmm. now. 
What was it like from your perspective growing up in a home where now your dad is like this famous writer and he's all like, everyone's all calling him like, hey, Jerry, can you come and do this? Or we want you to write X, Y, Z. Just tell your feelings about that growing up because you were kind of a young adultish. So I was in college when, yeah. when the first Left Behind book came out. Okay. And what's funny, the first year or so, uh, it wasn't a huge seller. It was just kind of gating, like people seemed to like it when they read it. But I remember I would go into bookstores and mm-hmm. and see that there was a couple copies there. And then I started to go into bookstores and they'd be gone because they were sold out and starting to notice that. And then noticing that my my some of my friends, or I would overhear conversations about the book at college. And that's when I thought, well, that's really interesting. College students are reading it now and excited about it. And just watching it grow and grow and grow. Uh, started off slowly, then it started to accelerate, and you're thinking it's reached its peak, but then it just kept building and building and building. Um, so that was really interesting for me. Um, I think one of the cool things about it was, from a personal level, having the opportunity to read the books was cool because I would read them before they were even printed. Mm-hmm. Um, but also seeing him, seeing my dad experience this and how um, you'd think that it might change him in a way that was you know, now that he's escalated in his career and has achieved more notoriety and more success, um, that it might uh, create maybe a sense of entitlement or you've seen it a lot where people get more and more famous and then maybe they change. And uh, I actually saw in many ways the opposite, which Mm -hmm. I saw more humility and more Mm -hmm. um, kind of a a clearly this is not my doing. Clearly I'm on a ride that God has orchestrated that I'm just lucky to be part of, which was a great, I think, uh, example for me as to what's now happening with the chosen mm-hmm. to see firsthand how it happened 25 years ago. Yeah. So I think isn't this year or last year 2020 was the 25th anniversary right. of of the Left Behind book. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it was fascinating. I was at the I, at the time wanting to get into film. I actually um, went to work for the company that produced the first Left Behind movie hmm. um, and started just out as a secretary and kind of worked my way up uh, for a few years there. And then we started our own production company. So there was a, certainly, there was a personal connection to it, personal perspective, a uh, just an artistic one of just enjoying reading them, mm-hmm. and then a career one where, in many ways, those books uh, not only took his career to the next level, but in some ways they helped launch mine. Because mm-hmm. when I graduated from college, I had this job at this production company, and uh, and it also the success of the books allowed us to have the means to start our own company as well. Yeah, I think now. Well, clearly, Jerry, now that you know the novelization of the Chosen is out, you're going to get all weird on YouTube and Instagram and try to become one of these Justin Bieber influencers. I know. So this is you know, watch yourself, okay? Right. Watch. We'll we'll see how you do. Okay, Dallas, tell us though, what did you learn specifically? from him about storytelling and creativity? What would you say you observed? Well, I was, you know, raised not only in an environment where he was a writer, but he was also a a storyteller just in general. He was always the funniest guy in the room. When we'd have people over, I was always seeing him kind of hold court and making people laugh. So I think that's where I was as, as influenced as anything. I'm actually not, I mean, I'm a writer in the sense that I help write the scripts, but, um, we're we're actually pretty different when it comes to our approach to writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the discipline to write to write an entire book from scratch. Mm-hmm. I could never do that, um, and so we, we just we 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 always had different approaches and different skill sets. Um, I think one of the biggest things was is when he introduced me to movies when I was uh, in, in middle school. Hmm. Um, he's a big movie buff and started, you know, at first when I was when I was young, um, we we had a pretty strict environment in terms of. You know, the movies we watched were PG or G and and all family-friendly and whatnot. When I got into middle school and high school, old enough to start seeing more mature movies, um, he started introducing me to some of the great movies of all time. And and uh, and that was that was a huge influence. And and I was I would ask him questions about how, you know, how did they do that? And why did they make that choice? And so he just has a really great understanding of storytelling, yeah. even though our specific styles are different. Yeah. The obvious overall approach of a beginning, a middle, and an end, and and, uh, you know, figuring out 
what the twists and turns are and how that applies to some of the great movies that he loves and mm -hmm. some of the great books that he loves. So mm -hmm. uh, it was just an environment of, of story that yeah. I was just immersed in. Well, let's talk a little bit about the stories within The Chosen uh, sure. in particular, because many people have tried, some have succeeded, some have failed to recount aspects of the life of Christ, the Gospels, biblical series, whatever, um, you know, and, and done so, like I said, with, with varying success. What makes The Chosen different, would you say? Like, what's been kind of your, why did you feel this retelling needed to happen and then especially jerry and the novelization of it and putting it to print you know it's kind of like you know the, someone's going to be like um hello i read it in the bible like what you know right. <laughs> so talk to us about let's start first with the series dallas yeah so another thing that i think influenced me growing up was um when we would go to church and i, we, I would have sunday school hearing the, the stories of jesus we would do devotional books together as a family sometimes um my dad is is actually quite outside the box when it comes to um, joking around and 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 thinking of things that maybe aren't on the page. So we would read a a, a Bible story, and he would say things like, "Could you imagine what it must have been like to sit there and or be, have the disciples sitting around the campfire at night? And what would they have talked about?" And we would start making jokes, and and I, I always had this skewed perspective. Um, on some of the famous stories of the Bible is we would always want to go a little bit deeper. Mm. And I think he's a very curious uh, person and I'm very curious about, all right, this story is interesting, but where, where else can we go with it? And what are, what's some of the context? So The Chosen came from a place of truly wanting to explore um, the stories that I've heard hundreds and hundreds of times, but only heard them on a surface level. So there's spiritual truths, of course, in all these stories. But from a humanity perspective, it's always very surface. And the stories, when you look in the scriptures, are actually quite short. They're just a couple of verses. Mm -hmm. And so looking for the, the, the meat in between the stories, the context, the biblical and historical context, all that went into the desire to tell this story and go, all right, I've heard these stories hundreds of times. I believe in them. I don't want to change anything about them. I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. I believe that this Bible is God's word. I don't. There's no reason to improve upon it. But... From a TV show perspective, perhaps we can dig in a little deeper and uh, explore the backstories of these people. And what's it like? We know that Simon Peter had a wife because he had a mother-in-law. What must that have been like? What you know, no, from what we can glean of Simon Peter's personality, what what would he be like as a husband? Let's explore that. And um, because we have the safety net of the fact that we both love the Bible, um, and I was raised as a as a lover of God's Word and as a, a, a strong Christian. Um, there was never any risk of of trying to rewrite anything or come at it from a different angle or try to what would what it would have been like if Jesus wasn't actually the Messiah. None of that. Mm -hmm. This was a what would it have been like from a human perspective to be a follower of Christ or to be a rejecter of Christ. And I think the show was set up in that way, and then the novel allows us to go even a little bit deeper because we're able to get inside their thoughts, mm -hmm. which you can't do in a show. Yeah. So I think we both just have that perspective of wanting to explore things and see what happens. Yeah. So Jerry, talk about getting into their thoughts on the page, because, you know, what's so great about doing this interview for Boundless is that these guys, like these disciples, were young guys. They were young adults. They yeah, would have been contemporaries. It's a myth to think that they were in their 40s and that you yeah. typically see them portrayed as these bearded. Because of those beards. Yeah. You yeah. Know, but, those but beards yeah, they mess were, people They up. were probably in their early 20s, late teens. Yeah. You know, we know Jesus, you know, at the start of his ministry, had just turned 30, which, you know... 30 is the new 20 mm -hmm. um, here for mm -hmm. us today. But, but I mean, they, today, these guys would have been, like, just trying to get their lives together. They would have maybe been, you know, playing some pickup basketball, doing some gaming on the side, trying to, you know, get a date maybe on Friday night. So what did you like, Jerry, about being able to explore the characters in the book and being able to go a little bit beyond just the accounts that were given in Scripture? Yeah, that is the fun of it. And I had actually done this um, in my own novel writing before Dallas even thought of The, the Chosen. In fact, people have asked me if, because uh, I did a series with Dr. LaHaye after Left Behind called The Jesus Chronicles, where we did novels based on the four Gospels, and did a lot of this, where it was, you know, who brought the fish and the loaves to Jesus? Would, would this kid have had a name? Obviously, 
what did his mother tell him? What you know? How did that happen? So we're flushing out that that kind of story. And people have said, you know, did, did that influence Dallas? And I said, well, the irony is those books put him through college, but I don't think he read them. <laughs> so you know, he had the same sensibility and the same idea, and maybe based on some of the stuff we talked about when when he was a kid. But that is the fun of it. It's it's going deeper, and and saying and and I love the fact that uh, you know a verse just simply says. Um, you know, this or that happened, and then this or that happened, and you go, boy, that's there's three chapters to a novelist. Mm-hmm. And if you just play with it and say, what could it have looked like? Readers will give you that leeway. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you put something, and I remember putting something in one of the Jesus Chronicle books where they're sitting around the fire after the day, and they, they're asking him about the parables, and Jesus smacks a bug on his neck. And pulls it down, he's got this smash bug in his palm, and he just brings it back to life and it flies off. And people go, where is that in the Bible? I want to, you know, well, it's not in the Bible. If it was, it would be a very famous <laughs> scene. But why not? He created everything. Mm-hmm. Could he not, you know, just say, well, I didn't want it to bite me, but I didn't either want to kill it. So, let's, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's really fun. And, and the other thing about, you know, being a novelist is that you get to be the characters. Mm-hmm. So I can be a young boy, I can be an old woman, I can be, you know, whoever. Uh, it's really hard to be Jesus. So you're careful with what he says. It has to line up with Scripture. Don't take any liberties there. Mm-hmm. But I, too, love the idea that, um, you know, I, I've seen the, all the paintings of the, the apostles, and they're, you know, they're standing on rocks, and they're holding their tunics, and, they're, and they're, they look old and everything. And now, when I read Scripture... I'm seeing the characters in The Chosen, just like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and frankly, I'm feeling my way with this fiction, too. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to do a, a novel for each, each season. Um, my initial emphasis was to make sure that it's exactly what you see on screen. Um, and I think I felt a little trepidation about how far do I want to take the creativity of Dallas and his writing team. Um, and I've been assured that I can go deeper and wider with that, which is really going to make the rest of the books in this series fun, too. Yeah. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask on behalf of my audience what I'm sure you guys have been asked before. And that is for both the book and the series, um, toughest scene to write or film to just pull together to make this happen and to feel like you're really capturing what went on and then personal favorite and it can be the same it can be different whatever so if you're you're picking for yourself alone not creatively not for marketing not for anything just your heart where are we at with that yeah i think the toughest one um might also be my favorite um and maybe i don't know if there's a reason for that but uh we have in episode four the miracle of the fish when uh simon has been up all night and he's been desperate and one of the things we really loved about that is, is, you know, in the Bible, it just says he was up all night, didn't catch anything. And Jesus came along and, and did this miracle where he caught a whole host of fish. And creating the backstory of that was really cool, that showing the desperation of Simon Peter and how oppressed he was by the Romans and how high the taxes were, all the things that are true. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he needed, to, he needed those fish. He needed to catch fish to keep for his livelihood. And uh, he spent all night you know, uh, going for it. Well, the next morning when we, when we're filming the scene where uh, Jesus shows up and has him cast the net on the other side of the boat, um, about four days before we were set to film that scene, we didn't have a boat, we didn't have a lake and we didn't have any fish. Uh, and that spot of desperation actually felt quite similar to where I think Simon might, might've been. And uh, because of how The Chosen has gone and because The Chosen was in many ways birthed out of my own personal career failure, um, I was on this track spiritually of just being open to whatever God had. And I'm like, it's not my job to feed the 5,000. It's only my job to provide the loaves and fish. In this case, we don't even have fish. Uh, We just have loaves. I'm just trying to do what I can. And how that scene came together and how we, I mean, I just remember sitting there, standing in the water. Um, with this net, and we've put this big, what we called a green burrito, which was this green tarp filled with green water balloons so that we could replace them with fish later. And I was just so out of control, meaning I, the, the success of the scene wasn't fully in my hands. It was in the hands of my visual effects guys, and it was in the hands of, of the weather. And 
um, all of that, all, how it all came together just at the, at the literally the last second and turned out to be what I think is one of the most, if not the most inspirational and fun and exciting scenes in the, in the show. And the music of it, I remember, was so much different than what I envisioned because my composers came up with something brilliant. So again, it's a scene that I watch going, yeah, I wrote that but I'm not responsible for how great it turned out. And yeah. that, was, that was really fun. So I think it's both my most challenging and my, and my favorite. It's a good one. All right, Jerry. I have two. Um, I found the, uh, one of the most inspiring scenes to write was the nativity scene in the pilot section. Yeah, because the, 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 the Chosen was birthed from this short film I did about the birth of Christ. Just, that was just for my church. Yep. Just for my church's Christmas Eve service. Okay. And, and the that, book actually opens yeah, with that then, scene. Right, yeah. yeah. And I had... Uh, written a play for our church years ago about a young shepherd who asks an old shepherd who had been at the nativity to tell about that night. And it's just a monologue of him telling that. And um, so that, you know, took me back to that. But to imagine somebody, you know, when, when God had not spoken to his people for 400 years, they still all talked about someday there'll be a Messiah who comes and rescues us. And then to have these lowly shepherds have this announced to them, it, it moved me. You know, that's one thing I, in writing this novel, I had to watch, I say had to, but I, I had to watch every episode. Uh, and I counted them 22 times. I never grew tired of one scene. And, and I loved the nativity scene. It was, it, and it didn't, it didn't take a whole lot of creativity for me because the, these guys had done a brilliant job with it. But that was a wonderful one. But the, the, my favorite is the one where Jesus talks to, to Mary Magdalene and calls her by name. That's when I knew we had the title. I have called you by name. He's called me by name. That's what reaches me. Yeah. Well, okay, and we're going to get into that. Uh, Dallas, you alluded to failure. We're going to get into that next week. Jerry, that scene uh, with Mary... Uh, Lilith turned Mary. We're going to get into that. And so will you guys uh, hop back uh, for next week's show and we'll continue the conversation? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Oh, it's just you and me. It's only you and me. We are finishing out the show and opening up our inbox, and I have got Counselor Patrick Hill here. Hey, Patrick. Hi there. Great to have you. Great to be here. Okay, um, short question today, but a lot behind it, so you're going to have to weigh in on this one. Our listener says, how can you recognize a manipulator? Sometimes a person can come across as nice, but he or she has hidden motives. What tips would you give for making sure I'm not lured into someone's manipulation? Such a great question with uh, with a lot of heavy uh, thought behind it, behind mm -hmm. what a manipulator is. So first off, a manipulator is someone who gets their needs met through control and they, they can be sweet or hostile. You never know what you're going to get with a manipulator. They want something from you and they will use control or coercion to get that, uh, sometimes in very subtle ways. So it's really sometimes hard to see a manipulator coming towards you. So we'll talk about four different types of manipulators. I'm sure there are many more, but I'm just going to cover four. First, we've got the victim. The victim finds power in being powerless. So particularly us as Christians, we like to have the opportunity to help folks. We want to extend our hand and in the name of Jesus, offer a cold cup of water. The manipulator knows this, so they will find that power and control in victimhood and will be able to get what they need from us. Then we've got the bully. They're just outright power and control. They bend your will to their own, perhaps through verbal abuse 
or actual physical abuse. They will bully you into submission. And now we've got the good guy. The good guy is thick with charm, super hard to resist, people magnet, very dynamic, smooth talker, very hard to resist their charms. And then finally, we've got the guilt master, experts at heaping guilt on you, whether overtly or or covertly, they are just experts and dynamic at heaping that guilt. So we kind of buy in because we feel bad. And maybe we feel shame. They drag us in. So how do we keep from being lured by a manipulator? Some very simple steps. First, it's pretty simple but hard to follow. Know yourself. Know what your purpose is. Know who you are and be comfortable in your own skin. This is really about having solid foundation in life. To be able to stand firm, to know who you are, what you believe, where your faith is, and be able to stand on that. Secondly, boundaries, having good, solid boundaries. I liken boundaries to a privacy fence that perhaps you put up in your backyard. Some parts of that fence are going to be sunk into concrete, so they're going to be reinforced. They're going to be firm, solid, impenetrable, if you will. And then we have a gate to the fence. That's where we have open, close. We allow people in, out, ideas in or out. We've got to know where our boundaries are and make sure that that uh, that reinforced concrete is in place where it needs to be. Now, I want to bring both of those thoughts together. Be okay with holding fast to who you are and what your boundaries are. I think oftentimes we as believers, we have this sense of what would Jesus do and so we will we will kowtow to anybody who asks us for anything without thinking through the implications of that. What are we what's that costing us? And is it truly glorifying to the Lord? So I think we need to be okay with setting boundaries. Saying no is okay. Even Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And this comes directly from our Lord. So what would Jesus do? He'd be cautious and be wise. So if you think you're being manipulated, first off, get some support. Talk to a pastor, counselor, trusted friend. Don't hesitate to give our counseling team a call for a free consultation. We are here standing by to help as needed. And above all else, pray. Seek God's wisdom. Mm -hmm. And finally, we've got an awesome article on our Focus website, actually, How to Deal Wisely with Manipulative People. Great (laughs) article to check out. Good. And that would be at FocusOnTheFamily.com. And can you just throw out, Patrick, the number if people want a consultation? Maybe they've got someone right now that they're feeling controlled by. Um, How can they reach you? Absolutely. You can call the number 800-A-FAMILY, and that's 800-232-6459. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, As always, we want to hear from you. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, in a a crisis or if you feel you need help, although we want to be there for that. And that's why Patrick gave that info. Um, There is so much uh, here that we have for you, resources, um, consultation, uh, recommendations for someone, even a counselor in your area who's been vetted by our team of experts here. So very important for you to access that info. Um, And then also just reach out to us at editor at boundless.org and let us know your story. Uh, We want to be a community for you that encourages you and helps you get uh, the help that you need. And so uh, do be in conversation with us as well. So that is it for this week's show. I'm Lisa Anderson. We'll see you around next week for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I Have Called You By Name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series, The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com slash chosen.